Um, Well, as the uh, video makes clear, we're starting a new series called Restored, Finding Freedom in Christ. And uh, as the video mentioned, we'd love for you to make the most of the series. We'd love for you to do three things. Be here on a Sunday, engage with the Word of God and the preaching, but also... Uh, you know, join a group. We've been profiling lots of groups over the last couple of weeks. You've got a booklet on your chairs actually called King's Life, Restored Finding Freedom in Christ. We'd love for you to take one away, have a look at the plenty of groups in there, many of which are following the Freedom in Christ material. And can I encourage you to join a group this term? Because, you know, groups are all about making friends, growing in the, in the faith and connecting into the life of the church. And our heart is for people to find a home, not just uh, you know, attend on Sundays, although that is great. We want people to find a home, and we believe that finding a home requires being here on Sundays as well as being part of a group and sharing life together during the week. And so can I encourage you to look through that and join a group? You can do that even today by filling out the paper form, which are in a lot of the booklets, or you can sign up at the, at the desk, or you can text or go online. But join a group this term. And lastly, we'd love for you to make the most of it by buying the book, which we're selling in the foyer for £5. And also you can download the Freedom in Christ app. I actually downloaded the app this week and started reading the book, and it is fantastic. The app enables you to sign up for a daily devotional, which means you get the Word of God to you, really accessible on your phone each day, and you can just be renewed daily by receiving from the Word of God. So I'd encourage you to do those three things and make the most of this series. Now, it's a privilege for me to be able to preach today on our very first baptisms on the Beckenham site. I'm so, so excited. I could, I could barely sleep this week, okay, as we were leading up to today. And so I'm really excited and really pleased for Anne and Grace and for the church here, of course. And uh, my message today is basically going to be looking at another person who's had their life completely changed and transformed by Jesus. And you might be here today, and this might be the very first time you've come to a church building. This might be, you might be new to Christianity, you might be new to our church specifically, but you might just be unsure who this guy Jesus is. What's he about? Why are we dunking people in water? Who is this guy Jesus that you know, makes people dive into water in front of a load of people? Who is this guy and what is he about? Might be some of the questions that you're asking today. Interestingly, uh, other companies, lots of companies, have what we call a mission statement, right? A clear mission statement which tells you who they are and what they're about. What's their mission? And mission statements can be, you know, a short phrase, a sentence, maybe one or two words. But it's a clear statement to help us understand what the company is all about. What's their mission? For example, Uber, many of you might use Uber to travel around. Their mission statement is setting the world in motion. Or LinkedIn, some of you might be signed up on LinkedIn. Their mission statement is connecting the world's professionals to make them more productive and successful. Or you might go online and have a look at TED, you know, the TED Talks. Their mission statement, spread ideas. Or their slogan, ideas worth sharing. Tesco's, maybe shopping Tesco's, their mission statement, we make what matters better together. Each company has their own mission statement. It tells us who they're about or what they're about and what their mission is. And you know what? Jesus is no different. Jesus is no different. Jesus has his own mission statement, which enables us to know what he is about. Today, as I said, we start the new series, Restored, Finding Freedom in Christ. Restoration means to bring something back to its former place, position, or condition. It also means to mend what is broken. That's what restoration means. Jesus was about reaching us with the good news of Jesus, for sure, but it was also about restoring us in this life. Many of us may believe that Jesus is about saving us just from death which he is, but he's also about restoring us in this life as well. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 19. If you haven't got a Bible, steal someone else's Bible 
Um, maybe don't do that. You can, ha- you can have a look at the words on the screen. The words will come up on the screen behind me. We're going to read in a moment from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And we're going to look more closely at Jesus' mission statement. What is he all about? I'm going to start to read Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And we just, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There you have Jesus' mission statement. It's as clear as day in verse 10. The Son of Man, which was a typical title that he used, commonly used for him, himself. He says, the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. He wants it to be really clear to every single person who reads this, any person who meets him, my mission is clear. It's to seek and to save the lost. But we might ask the question, what does that really mean? What does that really mean today? And really the preceding nine verses that I just read basically apply his mission statement to a particular individual, a man named Zacchaeus. And by extension, we can also, by looking at Zacchaeus, know how his mission statement applies to us. So we're going to see how this mission statement applies to us this morning. First of all, Jesus seeks us. Jesus seeks every single one of us. As we begin to look at this encounter between Zacchaeus and Jesus, we see that Jesus entered Jericho and he's just passing through. He's just passing through. He's just going on by. Why? Because Jesus determined to get to Jerusalem. If you have a Bible open, you'll see in in Luke chapter 18 that he's already made it clear to his disciples that he wants to go to Jerusalem. Jericho is not his final destination. He's committed to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because that is where he'll be mocked, he'll be mistreated, he'll be spat on, he'll be flung up on a cross, he'll be killed, and three days later he'll rise again. That's his final destination. He's not worried about Jericho. He's just passing on through. And as he passes through, the crowd begins to follow him. The crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger, And as Jesus is passing through, no doubt people would have offered him a place to stay. They would have said, Jesus, come and stay at my house. Jesus, come and stay at my house. You know, Jesus is getting a good name for himself. He's becoming more popular. And a crowd gathers. And no doubt, as he's passing through, he would have been offered hospitality. But while he's passing through, we find that in Jericho, there's a man named Zacchaeus. And we're told what he's like. He's a chief tax collector. He's wealthy. He is rich. The man on the street would have looked at this guy Zacchaeus and would have gone, he's corrupt, he's a thief, he's a sinner, as we see in verse 7. This guy's a bad guy, he's a bad man. And you see what tax collectors used to do, they used to collect taxes for the Roman Empire, and often they exploited people, they got people to pay more money than they ought to. They were very open to bribery, and they were just all out for themselves, getting rich. 
But also notice in this account that we're told that he's not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, which means he is the top of the tree. He is like the top dog. Okay? He is like super rich and super corrupt. And he gets even commissioned from the tax collectors below him. Super rich, super corrupt, not a good guy. And as a collaborator with Rome, he would have been hated by the crowd. And like I say, we know how the guy on the street sees this man. They call out to him. He's a sinner. And you know, uh, Jews at this time would have seen him as unclean. They wouldn't have associated with this guy. He would have been unclean, someone not to associate with. That's Zacchaeus. But interestingly, we're told that Zacchaeus, this sinful man, corrupt, all the rest of it, wants to see Jesus. Perhaps he's heard of the miracles. He's heard of the teaching. He's heard of all the things he's done elsewhere, and he wants to get a glimpse of this man. But listen, there's two problems. There's two very important problems. One, he's not the only person who wants to see Jesus. There's a huge crowd that want to gather and see him, and this crowd hates Zacchaeus. Secondly, let's face it, this guy is vertically challenged. He's short, and I have to say, I can empathize with him, all right? I can empathize with him as a, as a short guy, and if you're short in the room, we can empathize, right? We can empathize with him. And the thing is, if you're short and you see a crowd full of people who hate you, you're going to feel vulnerable. You're going to feel exposed, okay? I can't empathize with him for that level because no one hates me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least I hope not. But the reality is that Zacchaeus sees this huge crowd who do not like him, and he's vulnerable. If he was a well-respected, rich, powerful man, well, he is rich and he's powerful, but if he was respected, they would say, Zacchaeus, come to the front. Zacchaeus, come forward. Have front row seats to see Jesus. If he was a respected man. But he's not. And so he feels vulnerable. In a crowd, he might be attacked. In a crowd, he might even be killed. And it would be easy for someone to get away with it because of the crowd. So he's vulnerable. But Zacchaeus, he wants to see Jesus. And the great thing about Zacchaeus is that he is inventive. So what does he do? As Jesus is passing by, he decides to run ahead and climb a tree. Now, this should be shocking to us. Or maybe not, but if you were an early reader, you'd be shocked by this because it would be really unusual to see a rich, powerful man in Middle Eastern culture running and climbing a tree. You just would not see it. It would be really, really bad. It would be really shameful for someone to see someone doing that. Zacchaeus knows that. So he runs ahead of the crowd so he's not being seen. But notice, if you've got your Bible open, that Luke wants to make it really crystal clear that we get that it's a sycamore tree. It's a sycamore tree. Why didn't Luke just say, oh, we climbed a tree? Why does he specifically say it's a sycamore tree? Well, as you can see on the picture, sycamore trees were huge, but they had huge, thick leaves and low-hanging branches. So if you wanted to hide, it was perfect because it was low branches so you could easily climb in, but massive, thick leaves so you could be hidden from everyone else. So Zacchaeus knows that. Also, if you were a, you know, an early reader, you'd notice that a sycamore tree weren't allowed in the town. They had to be some distance away from the town. So Zacchaeus is clever. He knows that Jesus is passing through. He runs ahead out of the town, sees the sycamore tree, hides because he knows that Jesus is passing through on his way to Jerusalem. So picture the scene. Jesus passing by. There's a huge crowd. Huge crowd that love Jesus, but they hate Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus runs ahead, hides in a tree. They're going through Jericho, and eventually they get to the tree. At this point, the crowd would have been disappointed because Jesus didn't stay in Jericho. He didn't take them up on the offer of hospitality. So they get there. Jesus looks at the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house. 
I must stay at your house. At this point, everyone is shocked. Mouths are open. Jaws are hitting the ground. Why? Why is Jesus staying at this guy's house? Even more than that, how does Jesus even know his name? Well, the natural explanation to that would be that if Jesus can see this guy in a tree, the crowd can also see Zacchaeus in the tree. And if you're in this crowd and you see this guy, rich and powerful, in the tree, you would take the opportunity, you would seize the opportunity to cane him. Wouldn't you? This rich man who's taken all your money, you would insult him. I don't mean actually physically cane him. I mean insult him with your words, right? You'd be shouting abuse at him. You might even use, God forbid, four-letter words to shout at this guy because he is a, he's a thief, he's a corrupt man. And so you would absolutely shout at this man. You would shame him. But rather than shaming Zacchaeus, Jesus stands with him. Rather than shaming him, he stands up for him. He lines up with him when everyone else writes him off. The crowd write him off. He counts him in. Just like Zacchaeus, we often think that we're seeking Jesus, don't we? You might be here, in fact, maybe here for the very first time, and you might think, oh, I'm keen to find out more. I'm seeking Jesus. But the truth is that Jesus actually seeks us. Jesus seeks us out. He knows us. He loves us. And if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you often look back in hindsight and you think, at that point, oh, I thought I, thought I was seeking Jesus. But in hindsight, you look back and you're like, oh, actually, Jesus was seeking me. Jesus knew me. Jesus loved me. He was pursuing me. And so if you're here today, I want you to know that Jesus is the one who seeks us out. He's the one who knows us. Time and time again, he comes for us. And uh, we see, don't we, that Jesus says to him, I must stay at your house. And I was, as I was reading the Bible earlier this week, I under, underlined the word must. It's an absolute necessity that Jesus goes to stay at this guy's house. Why? Because it's what Jesus is all about. Jesus lines up with people that everyone else write off. Again, if you have a look in Luke chapter 18, you can see this when you get home maybe, Jesus lines up with little children who everyone else writes off. Jesus lines up with a tax collector who this religious guy totally wrote off. He lines up with him. Jesus lined up with a blind beggar. The guy was begging on the ground. Everyone else wrote him off. Jesus lines up with him. Jesus lines up with people that everyone else write off. This is not a case of mistaken identity. Jesus knew exactly who he was speaking to. Jesus knew his name. He knew Zacchaeus. He knew that he was a mistake-making mess. A mistake-making mess. And yet he stands by him. So far, you know, when we look at it, we might think, oh, Jesus is being rude. You know, why is he asking to stay at this guy's house? He's like inviting himself over. It's a bit rude, isn't it? But far from being rude, this is an incredible act of love. Because he's saying, forget the crowd. I'm lining up with you. It's an incredible act of love. I don't know about you, but I find this really encouraging. Because if I'm honest, I'm a mistake-making mess. I'm a mess. And so when I see that Jesus lines up with messes like me, it's good news, right? And if you're honest, you'll probably say, you too are a mistake-making mess. And so hopefully it's encouraging to know that he also lines up with you as well. What happens to Zacchaeus, he receives this incredible act of love. He comes down the tree and he receives him joyfully. He doesn't fob him off. He doesn't go home and say, oh, you know, he doesn't come up to Jesus and go, oh, sorry, don't come around just yet. I need to go shopping or I need to go and clean up. No, he doesn't fob him off. He comes to him and welcomes him. Jesus 
seeks us. Secondly, Jesus saves us. You know, when Jesus uh, meets someone, they're never the same again. Didn't we hear that in our testimonies? Jesus came and met Grace, completely changed. Jesus came and met Anne, completely changed. They were living one way, they met Jesus, they turned around. And to be honest, that is uh, my story as well. Throughout my teenage years, I was living life for myself. I was finding my identity in my sporting ability. I don't know why, because I wasn't actually that good. All right? <laughs> I found my identity in my footballing ability. I found my identity in uh, you know, getting the attention of women. I found my identity in, in, in being clever, good at my job, whatever it was. But I found my identity in someone else or something else. And suddenly I met Jesus. And Jesus stopped me in my tracks. Jesus stopped me in my tracks. He changed me, and now I'm living a completely different life. And I can tell you now that my life is completely different because Jesus met me and stopped me in my tracks. Now, Jesus, well, my relationship with him, he impacted the person I married. He impacts my time, how I spend my money. He impacts my job. The reason why I'm a pastor today is because Jesus stopped me in my tracks. Jesus changes every single thing about us, how we treat others, how we see others. And it's the same with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was stopped in his tracks, and all he could do was respond. If you have a look at verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and publicly says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Listen, Zacchaeus went up a tree, one man, he came down the tree, a new man. He went up the tree, one man, he came down the tree, a new man. His God before was money. He couldn't get enough of it. It gripped his heart. He meets Jesus and he gives his money to the poor. Here, half of what I've got I give to the poor. In fact, you know, this would have been a public declaration. This wouldn't have just been Jesus on his own. You know, this would have been a huge banquet. A huge banquet. Everyone, lots of people would have been there. Just like the testimonies today, they stand up, they give a public declaration. Zacchaeus is saying this publicly in front of lots of people. He has been changed and transformed and he testifies to that change. You know, Jesus is about salvation for sure, but he's also about restoration. He saves Zacchaeus. He does an inward work to restore him so that Zacchaeus can do an outward work of restoration for others. And if you look at the passage, you might think, he's trying to wiggle out of it. He says, if I have cheated anyone, I'll give back four times the amount. You might read that and say, you know, if, but of course I haven't. But if you find me to have, you know, cheated anyone, I'll give back four times the amount. But actually, when you look at the actual meaning of the text, he's actually owning up to his guilt. He's actually saying, if, and by the way, Jesus, I have, you know, if and I have, I've cheated people, I'll give back four times the amount. And the amazing thing about this is that he admits his guilt and his shame, but the amazing thing about it is that he goes beyond the call of duty. He goes beyond the call of duty. If you have a look at Leviticus and Numbers at some point, and you read it, the actual law, the Jewish law, stated that if you cheated anyone out of money, you had to give 20% above the value that you cheated them. Just 20%. So what Zacchaeus is doing here is amazing. He's giving four times the amount. Not just 20%, but four times the amount. He's going way and beyond the call of duty, which shows his change of heart. Jim Carrey, the famous actor, once said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Money is not the answer. Zacchaeus has found the answer. He's found the answer in Jesus, and so he sees his wealth in its proper perspective. He has a complete change of heart. He receives the extraordinary love of Jesus and therefore gives extraordinary love to other people. 
interestingly, again, I keep referring to Luke 18. Maybe you should read it when you get home. But there's a great account in Luke 18 where Jesus meets another rich man. This is an account of the rich young ruler. And this young rich man comes up to Jesus and says, I've done it all. I merit salvation. I am good enough because I've kept the law. I've done everything I can to please God and to please other people. I'm in. I'm in Jesus. And Jesus turns to this rich young man and he says, one thing you still lack. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the Bible says that this young rich man goes away sad because he had great wealth. He chose money over Jesus. But Zacchaeus doesn't make the same mistake. Zacchaeus chooses Jesus over money. And it's a great contrast. If you saw Zacchaeus' bank balance, you'd see that he's been changed by Jesus. Suddenly going from all this to half of it, all to the poor. He's completely, completely changed radically. This man Jesus, you know, he's dangerous to know, isn't he? (laughs) He's dangerous. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that he is dangerous. You meet Jesus, you get to know him. Man, there's a lot that changes. A lot that changes. Zacchaeus starts from where he is, a mistake-making mess. But not where others want him to be or where others are. He admits his wrongs. He comes in repentance and faith. He has a change of heart. He lives a new way. He commits to restoring others because he himself has been restored. Finally, Jesus restores us. I love this verse in verse 9. It says this, As a result of him receiving Jesus and a change of heart, Jesus says this in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. People hearing this would have been shocked. You what? You what, Jesus? The crowd would have looked at Zacchaeus and gone, he's a sinner, he's a thief, he's a corrupt man. How can you say that salvation has come to this guy's house? How can you say that he's now a son of Abraham? The crowd would have been shocked. This is a joke. It's astonishing. And yet we read from Paul in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 that it's through faith that we become sons of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the faith in Genesis. He receives a promise by faith. So anyone who has faith in Jesus is now a son of Abraham, a child of faith. Don't you see that Zacchaeus' identity has changed? He came in a sinner. He now leaves a son. His identity is completely different through faith. He came in a sinner. He leaves a son. I think a number of us need to hear that today. That no one ever got saved by putting their faith in Jesus and became perfect straight away. Of course, we're clothed in his righteousness. He sees us as perfect. But but we know that we're still a mess. We know that there's still progress to be made. We know that there's still things going on in our lives that we need to repent from and put our trust in Jesus again. We don't live off a one-time commitment to follow Jesus. Actually, every single day, we come back to God in repentance and faith. It can't just be a one-moment decision, guys. We must completely come back to him every day. And many of you know that, right? Which is why some of you are nodding. And many of us know that we still haven't reached full maturity in the faith. And we know that we still get caught into habitual sins, right? We still know that we get caught into cycles. When we feel, you know, we have negative thoughts. We have anxiety, worry, doubt, condemnation. We can be addicted to alcohol and pornography. We can be addicted to a whole load of things. We're still a work in progress. And so each day, we must come back to him. Jesus said in John 8, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But he says, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Jesus is saying that those who sin are a slave to sin. We go back to that old master constantly. We're a slave to it. But when we put our trust in Christ, he releases us from slavery. We're free. We don't have to sin. We don't have to go back to the old master. He's given us the power and strength to live a new life. We can have freedom in Christ. Zacchaeus found this freedom. Before he met Jesus, he was a lost child. He now becomes a son of Abraham. All he could do before was sin, and now he's free to live for him. Same with us. Same with us. When we put our trust in Jesus, our identity changes completely. Where does this power come from? It comes from Jesus' love. Do you know that? I'm going to end on this. It comes from Jesus' love. That's the power for us to change. We cannot just depend on our own efforts, our own works. It comes from the power given to us through his love. And what we see with Zacchaeus, when we look at this story, it gives us a glimpse into what Jesus did on the cross for us on our behalf. So come with me on a little bit of a journey. If you have a look at verse 3, we see that the crowd is angry and hostile towards Zacchaeus because of who he is and what he's done. They hate him. They want to punish him. And, and rightly so. He's done wrong. They want to rightly punish this guy. And they're hostile and angry towards him. And the bad news is that, just like Zacchaeus, we too have done wrong. We too deserve punishment for our wrongs. We too deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to have hostility and anger given to us because we've gone against God's word, his will, his desire for us. We are like Zacchaeus in that sense. We deserve to be punished. But see how Jesus takes the anger of the crowd upon himself. In verse 7, it says that the crowd, well, they grumbled. Who are they grumbling at? They're grumbling, they're moaning, they're grumbling at Jesus because he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. The hostility and anger of the crowd on Zacchaeus has now been transferred to Jesus. Jesus takes upon himself the anger and hostility that should be on Zacchaeus on himself. He takes upon himself his guilt and his shame and all that he's done wrong so that Zacchaeus can go free. And isn't that what Jesus does on the cross? We are guilty. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be punished for our shame and our guilt. But on the cross, Jesus takes it upon himself. He takes upon our guilt and our shame and all that we've done wrong. Why? So that we can go free. Romans 8 says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has now been given to us in Christ to free us from the law of sin and death. Faith means there's no now condemnation. And because of his love, because of what he did on the cross, because of his pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life that gives us freedom, we can now live a new life, free from all of that. Amen? Finally, as I close, Zacchaeus he was a lost man who was restored by Jesus. Zacchaeus went up the tree, one man. He came down a new man. Jesus, oh sorry, Zacchaeus came in a sinner. He left a son. Zacchaeus was a slave to sin, and now he's given freedom in Christ. And the same can be true of us. Today you can be restored. We can be restored. We can be made new if we come to him in faith. Jesus is clear about his mission statement, guys. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus seeks us, Jesus saves us, and in so doing, he restores us. Now it's our role to walk in that freedom. Can I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for this account of Jesus and Zacchaeus. We're so thankful for his identity being changed from a sinner to a son. We're so thankful that you restored him. You made him free. And in the same way that by coming to you, we can be free. I pray, Lord, that you would now stop us in our tracks. Stop us in our tracks. 
Help us to meet you and be changed and transformed by your life-giving spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.